Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on this Monday, December 26th. Again, Merry Christmas, one and all. I hope you had a a great weekend. If you think uh, weather is tough around here, and it is, it's very cold out. It is going to w- start to warm up, not only today, but then as the week goes along, at least, at least uh, break out of all these freezing, freezing temperatures. Folks, check out some of the snow totals in western New York, though. They just got buried. 44 inches of snow. Many people are trapped. Now, you're off today. In addition to listening to the radio, uh, make sure also you check out our website, dipetro.com, and then we're posting videos. We have uh, quite a bit. Maybe you want to catch up. Maybe we're off this week. can catch up on some of our videos from the potential building collapse that almost happened on Friday. We have that up. Then we also have the uh, all the different episodes, six episodes in with uh, Cranston PD Live. We're going to be posting some of the other video we've had over the course of the year. Some of the problems in Trinity Rep. It's a full happening, folks. You can check all of that out on the website, dipetro.com. You're listening to The John DePetro Show. The man. There he is. How are you, Sheriff? Have a seat. Folks, the guy is one of a kind. America's top sheriff. We'll let him get settled. It's always uh, history, whatever we talk to him. I want to welcome Bristol County Sheriff. I mean, I think he's the sheriff of America. He is Sheriff Tom Hodgson. Sheriff, what a pleasure and honor to see you again. John, it's an honor to be on your show always, really. You know, I I don't want to start off with bad news, but in the past, when I've had you, you were either coming from the White House or you were headed to the White House. Then we have that famous photo you and I were on. Is it the north or south lawn at the back within all the sheriffs were on the staircase? It was the south lawn. South lawn, south lawn. And unless I'm missing something... I, I don't think there's anything at the White House for the sheriffs this year. No, you're not missing anything. Oh, and, and, wow. and And not only that, uh, there, there's actually been no real interest in trying to, wow. to, to gather sheriffs from around the country to understand what, what are the impacts uh, of immigration oh. and other issues that mattered to us and what we're trying to do to uphold yes. the rule of law. Uh, Sheriff Tom Hodgson, what, what was your reaction uh, when you heard about what had happened with a plane landing on Martha's Vineyard? Well, I, I had a sense it was going to, they were going to be coming not only there, but other places around the country as well where they created sanctuaries. Yes. And um, we're hearing Newport that they could be coming to Rhode Island. Well, so, that, anywhere yeah. that there's sanctuary, people, these elected officials have created sanctuaries. Yep. Um, it shouldn't be surprising. And that's why the people of those communities ought to be upset that elected officials who took an oath yep. to uphold the law and protect them from people violating the rule of law who are actually promoting and encouraging lawbreakers to come to their community, hmm. those are the people they should be upset with. Not, right. with. not with Governor DeSantis. No. And not with Governor Abbott. Because you know what? Those two governors are doing what we all, I think in America, hope every elected official would do because we blindly trust them when they raised their hand, took the oath, yep. and said they will uphold the laws of this country, and they will uphold the Constitution. And, and they did it. And they, they're tr- trying to protect their people. They didn't say we want sanctuaries here. No. So, so they, they have done the right thing. And these, these progressive people yep. who have no regard for the number of kids that moms and dads are going to wake up to go to school and work right. who are dying from fentanyl, they know is pouring into this yep. country. I've been dealing this, uh, John, as you know, for 25 years I've been dealing with this oh. issue of immigration. And I have, I have disgustingly got to the point now where... 
and, and, and really, this administration is predominantly at fault, although both parties are at fault over 25 years, for not moving if they wanted to change and do some immigration reform. Um, they, the thing that really angers me is the arrogance and the disrespect for not just for us about the importance of upholding your oath, but what about the moms and dads and, and these people who lost their kids five years ago and they're basically saying to them, hey, we know all this is a result of our poor decisions of encouraging people to come here. We have sex trafficking out of control in this country. We're losing 300 a day now to fentanyl and it's getting worse. Um, we've got MS-13 gang members creating violent situations in our neighborhoods. And basically what they're saying is, oh, Mr. Jones and Mrs. Smith, you know your kids that died three years ago? Their lives don't matter, and neither do the ten that are going to die tomorrow. You know why? Because our politics is far more important than your kids' lives or your family's security in your community. And that's where we are in America, sadly, with some of these, these groups that have created these sanctuaries. Um, and so, so for those of us in law enforcement... It's all the sheriffs across this nation. We are not, we cannot, and we will not turn our backs on the rule of law. If we do, the country has no hope. Sheriff, you got to admit, it was, and again, folks, our guest is Sheriff Tom Hudson. It, it was comical to watch. I mean, 43 people was suddenly a crisis and turned Martha's Vineyard and turned Martha's and turned Martha's Vineyard upside down. I'm just trying to get the people next to us to lower their voice yeah, a little bit. You. That's all right. Yeah. Go right ahead, Sheriff. But you got to admit, that was comical, just 43 people. Well, yeah, you know, look, this is, um, you know, we, we saw what happened uh, right here in Washington when they brought a yes. couple of buses to, to yep. the, the vice president's uh, uh, house there on Mass Ave. And, and I, I recall one of the, one of the individuals saying, they, he was asked, well, is the border secure? And he said, no, the border's wide open. He said, and the reporter said, well, what would you say to the vice president? He said, I want to offer our gratitude. Our gratitude. And I understand where they're coming from because basically the message to them was, listen, the laws in the United States don't matter. But you know what? You know what, John? The other message is to the people who are respecting the laws of the United States, waiting their turn still in countries around the world. Think of that. Yeah. It's, to them, it's, what it's sort of like. Doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, well, wait a minute. We're doing it all the right way. You're yep. telling us that that doesn't matter, mm. and and so, so for them, it's got to be really heartbreaking that they're when they finally do come here and they take their oath, that all they went through didn't really matter. They could have snuck in. Yep. Is that what we want? Yes. And, and that is the message, Sheriff. That's going out. How do you think Governor Baker handled the whole situation on the venue? I mean, the first thing they did was ship them to Cape Cod. Well, Let's I, get them out of there. Yeah. I think I think that he obviously it was thrust. He, he had no idea it was coming. He was thrust on him. He had to make he had to make a decision to to address not just the people who that came right to make sure that they're they're not abused or whatever else sure. and, and put it in, pl- in his places. But at the same time, you know, for the for the if there was no availability for anything for them to be placed um, in in homes there as they've been doing everywhere else, then then. You have to make some alternative arrangement periodically to figure out what you're going to do. And I guess the, you know, the airbase was the closest, the Twin Airbase was the closest place where they had open facilities to be able to at least keep them there till they could figure out what the heck they had to do. Yep. And it would prevent them from being able to get maybe get back on boats and head out, and nobody knows where they are. Hmm. You know what? What is it like for you as a sheriff? I mean, we're both in the North Seas. I mean, to see. Someone like a Governor Santis say, we're not a sanctuary state. Governor Abbott, you know, sending them to the vice president's residence. I find it reaffirming. Like, oh, wow, there are people out there that would say, oh, whoa, whoa, you're not coming in here. This is not acceptable. You know why this is so important, uh, John, is because not just the point you made, but more importantly, them doing that didn't shelter people away from the border about how bad this situation is. Yep. It let them get a, a, just a, a, smor- uh, a morsel of a taste right. of what they deal with every day. I've been to the border, as you know, five times. Yep. Wow. I have, I've been on the Vickers Ranch where I sat there with Mr. Vickers and his wife, and they showed us picture after picture of dead people uh, on their property that they had to deal with. Wow. One guy leaning against this tree had been sitting there, obviously died from dehydration, and the, and the birds had eaten his eyeballs out. Right? Uh, oh no, no! But these are God. these are real stories. Yes, and and I, and the sheriff out of out of uh, um, uh, Brooks, I think it is uh, Texas, 
Now, he's had 973 deaths since last January, uh, since uh, I think it was last January, maybe. Um, I, I, I thought I had the number here with me, but 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 he's had 973 deaths. I have it right here, okay. I believe. Um, between 2009 and now, just in his county. And he's only got five oh. deputies. He he said that he has that he has to deal with these things every day. And then, never mind, imagine this being in your neighborhood here, Worcester, down on the Cape, Providence, yep. where, where all of a sudden they said, hey, you know what? We're not enforcing no trespassing laws anymore, and anybody that wants to come in your property can't. Now, you come home. And you don't know, you won't let your kids out in the backyard, but yep. you don't want to let them run to the shed and get the grass trimmers or anything else because you don't know if somebody's hiding in there with a gun. That's right. This is happening to the people in Texas and Arizona every single day. They've had to shut down 50% of the cattle ranchers, ranches in Stark County alone in Texas. You know, we, we owe it to each other as Americans. This isn't about being Democrat, Independent, That's right. Republican. This is about being Americans and, t and, and looking out for each other. We can't say anymore that the laws don't matter. And there's going to be a select group that the politicians will decide will be will be exempted from our laws. And, yes, if they impose hardships on you. Now, I'm going to give you something else that hasn't really been talked about. Okay. And I just learned about this recently, and I'm looking into it even more. Here we go. And I got it from a from a guy who works in a hospital in, in right outside my county. And he told me, he said, do you have any idea what's going on with these, these uh, illegal aliens who are here that need to go to the hospital and be admitted? I said, no. He said, they're getting admitted. And then... When they're finally medically cleared for however long they're in the hospital, I'm not talking the emergency room. I'm talking admitted. Um, they they uh, they can't be re released after they're medically cleared because the law requires if you're going to release some, give somebody a medical clearance to leave, yep. they have to have an address to go to. He told me that one of the hospitals in Boston has close to 200 people in there that have already been medically cleared that they can't let out who are just basically occupying beds wow, because that's, it's that's like acting like a hotel without then they don't belong there how many how many how many emergency rooms have you gone to we've seen people laying my father yes. my father-in-law and my mother-in-law right. where they just were laying, laying there on the stretchers in the emergency room because there weren't enough beds right and they had wow. to wait till beds cleared up right so and this has been according to this guy it's been months and so, Holy so, cow. so you want to talk about undermining not just the cost of medical care right. in this country for all of us, but how about the services yes. that we rightfully should have? What this kind is, of this is why policy you, is that, or lack of a policy of how to deal with it? Right, and and and, wow. and, and, and the and the the problem is, John, that not only are we we having the impacts from the costs. But what about the impacts on the services? That's why we have to have immigration. That's right. We have to have immigration laws so we can control the infrastructure. Yep. You know, in May, last May, they had 237,000 illegal aliens that came across the border that they knew of, the, the encounters. Now, that's, take for a minute, New Bedford, Fall River. That's more than the, common, the populations of both combined. Hmm. And I ask listeners all the time and people I run into, tell, tell me where there's a New Bedford in a Fall River, sitting vacant with houses, police departments, fire department, hospital, schools, jobs, and all the other things you need, grocery stores, just waiting for the people, those 237,000 just take, come into the town, it's all ready for you, set up, ready to go. There are none. So where are they going? And that's only one month. How? That's Think only one that, month. Sheriff. Only one month. And, and what about, I mean, we're putting all these homeless people I mean, excuse yes. me, all these, these, uh, these uh, illegal aliens in all these hotels, nice yep. uh, converted That's hotels, right. things like that. Where were these people when it came to our veterans That's who were right. laying on the street, That's right, homeless Sheriff. everywhere? Yep. Where, where, is, where are they? Mm. You know, where are, those, where are those accommodations for them? Right? Folks, again, our guest is Sheriff Tom Hodgson. And, Sheriff, just to go back down memory lane, um, what was it like when you would be here in D.C.? We'd be doing this type of broadcast, and then you'd either be coming from the White House or going to the White House. It sounded like you had a very interested, captivated audience in the form of then the occupant of the Oval Office. There's no question about it. And let me tell you, John, um, I tell people this all the time. Whether people like the way the president tweeted or didn't tweet or what have you, I can tell you firsthand, because I was in many meetings with that president, he... the, the, the the wonderful thing about him and the great one of the great things about him was he would actually bring in 
if it was a law enforcement issue, he'd bring yep. in sheriffs. Hmm. He wanted to know on the border issues. He'd bring right. us in. How is it impacting you at the border? How is it impacting you and your communities, right, in, across the nation? Because we're all border communities now. Right. And he wanted to know from us directly. Tell me what it is. And if you have ideas for solutions, great. But when I create the policy, I want to make sure that it doesn't filter through some politician that's trying to get credit, get sure. watered down. I want that policy to directly impact the people that you're serving in those communities so they get the direct impact and benefit from this White House. And Ooh. he said that. And he meant it. And, he's, and he did it every time we met, whether it was medical. Martin Luther King's um, uh, niece was there often on religious issues, things like that. He wanted to know from people who were, who had their boots on the ground, which is the best way, because he is. knew he served us, and the only way he could best serve us yep. is if he took the information we had in our communities and turned it into good policy that mattered. Mm. And and think about this, John. Um, we had, what, 300 sheriffs from across yes, the nation that here? That was amazing. And, yeah. and, you know, these guys have worked with me for, for years now, yep. and we are so committed, and we are not. We are the one group, and I told the sheriffs just across the country, we are the last bastion of hope for this nation. That's right. We were elected by the people. Yep. We don't answer to anyone but the. You're, are you up the, for the re-election? Yes, in, in November. November. You yes. are. Okay. And and um and we and we have an obligation. We're not going to respond to something based on whether you're a Democrat, Independent, or Republican. But what we are going to do is we're going to stand united in making sure whatever laws are on the books are enforced. We will not turn our backs on those laws. Mm. We're not going to parse words or anything else. The law is the law. We're not we're not politicians in that regard. We're 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 elected officials who have a solemn oath to uphold. So do the people in Washington, by the way. Well, but, one uh, would think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What uh, about uh, Jeff Deal? He seems like he's running the right type of campaign. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's getting aggressive and doing what he yes. what he needs to do. Yeah. Um, and and you know, timing's everything in this business it as is. to when when you do what, but. Um, you know, of course, I'll be I'll be supporting the Republican ticket. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, and um, and it's and it's f for all the right reasons. Look, I dealt with Mara Healy. Um, Mara Healy weaponized her office from the day she was there with politics. She she filed, I think, enjoined herself in more lawsuits than any other AG in the nation oh. against the previous administration. She was on the other side of the border in Mexico when I was in McAllen at the processing station, and at the same time. While I'm working with Border Patrol to find out what are the impacts, what are the, the issues with the MS-13 gang members coming to my community, how do we work with each other, yada, yada. She was over there telling the families it's wrong that the United States won't let you come in here oh, and just pull her over the God, border. And think the, of that. Well, you know what? This wow. Is, you know, look, she's, she's um, we've had our own experiences with her. Yeah. She's, um, well, she's consistent. Consistent, yeah, consistent, <laughs> consistently political. Yes, no question about very it. much so. And we need somebody in the governor's office who is going to focus on what matters to the people. Yep. And and fulfill the obligations and the responsibilities of governor, mm. uh, not politician. That's right, folks. He is Sheriff Tom Hudson. Sheriff, great to see you. Great to see you, John. Right, Thanks I'll so much. Always wonderful to be always, on the show. Always great. Good Thanks. luck this fall. You're listening. To the John DePietro Show, folks, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's Monday. It is December 26th. Hope everyone uh, <clears throat> enjoyed. I mean, very cold, though, folks. This has been quite the cold snap. Wild weather from Friday. And then uh, just bone-chilling, freezing cold. Christmas Eve, Christmas. I hope you had... A Merry Christmas. I still want to wish you a Merry Merry Christmas. We can still say that. Now, it's Monday. We're going to do a little bit of uh, memory lane. I'm going to do some some updates. We're going to uh, re go back to some of the interviews that we've done. So we're going to float some new information. We're also going to float a little bit of a best of. So, But it is Monday. It is December 26th. Merry Christmas, one and all. Everyone, this is the nationally recognized holiday since... Christmas fell on uh, yesterday on Sunday. So, but you are listening to the John DePietro Show. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, managing editor, com. It's Justin Katz. And Justin, after um, at least two weeks, maybe even a little bit longer than that, but uh, this battle of the homeless encampment at 
the state house. Uh, the McKee people got some things that kind of broke their way in the form of uh, change strategy, judge delayed things, gave them some time seemingly to hammer some things out. Um, definitely some gut acrimonious and, and the McKee governor himself saying that it was the advocates that wanted to keep some of the homeless people up there. But in the end, this uh, over on Cranston Street, the armory, that is now the, quote, warming station. They brought in crossroads. He got a ruling from the judge. And on Saturday morning, I actually went up and they come in and all the tents are finally gone. This battle of uh, Governor McKee and the homeless seemingly for now has come to an end. Yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of inevitable. I mean, the, the judge ruled that you don't have a right to set up your home on the property of the state house. I mean, it's it's kind of an obvious thing um, that was would have really put us in a precarious position if, if it were really the case that people could just live on public property. Um, right. And that, so I, I, we, we averted that. I mean, the theater of it all is, is pretty, pretty astounding. And it, the, the way the governor's been kind of trapped in this, you know, the, the progressives with the, with the um, making it, making a thing in the spring and he didn't quite know what to do about it. It's, it's a very strange kind of an issue. I I've gotten in a few um, battles with journalists, particularly at the globe. You, you can't criticize anything about it. It's, it's pretty astonishing. I mean, he, and I think that's part of what the, the governor's caught in. I mean, if you, if you point out, you know, maybe we need to focus on other things like improving the economy and the housing, yeah. suddenly you're, you're attacking them. Uh, you're making it, it's very, very bizarre. They, they really do. It makes you think it's sort of like they that homelessness is this issue. They can trot out. They write some stories about it with some nice pictures of a family. And then nobody's allowed to criticize it. Everybody gets to give up and it's obvious what you have to do. You got to give you got to give them free housing. You've got to crack down on landlords. Uh, it's it's a very it's. Unlike other issues, it's, there's very much almost like a consensus that there's just no discussion. It's just something that evil people are doing to other people, and we could just solve this all with a snap of our fingers. That's kind of the attitude. And I think that's what you see manifesting when you get arguments like they have a right to live on in front of the state house. I mean, it's just it's just this bizarre psychology that we we kind of need to figure out how to start addressing. And now that you know, kind of the the mad the crazies and and children are are really running the show in some ways in government. Hey, just to catch you make and I hope everyone just caught that you make a brilliant point, and that is the unbiased way that this is covered in, in the media. And and you know as I think of it, and I just thought of it as you're saying it. I don't do you ever remember? I can't recall. I should say one article about a homeless individual that in any way may criticize them, be negative about them, show them in a poor light. Uh, for instance, you know, the, the Globe recently just did one of this family, and uh, I think they have three children. And, uh, you know, through a series of it, I, I'll admit that the state you think should hire or some, somehow, maybe if it's in more children, but have a caseworker almost working with them, because that's an unusual situation. But, you know, they make... I mean, you hate to say it, but they make poor decisions and staying in a hotel is certainly not a decision. Um, you know, something should be carved out. But the term homeless, the moment someone puts that forward, uh, it, it becomes a shield and it's a shield that can't be penetrated. Another good example, Justin, I think I'd like to hear your thoughts is, is Steve Alquist. I mean, he basically was he wasn't a, a, a member of the, a journalist reporting on it. He was the lead advocate. He was the one leading the charge against Governor McKee, but he was, you know, championed and the unbelievable work he's doing and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and calling out there's 500 people and there's 50 of them up there. And, and in the end, I, I think there were eight of them. I was there. Sat, all the tents were empty. I think there's even an element of it's irresponsible the way some of this reporting has been. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, but I think the it's very difficult to tell where the line ends on the advocates and the and the journalists. I mean, I, the article you're referencing about the family was by Alexa. I don't know how to pronounce yes. it. Gago. And um, I mean, it, it, a compelling story. I had a lot of sympathy for the family. I mean, they've got four kids. I've got four kids. He's a roofer. I was in construction. I mean, I, and I was certainly in that that range. If one or two things hadn't broken my way, we'd have 
potentially been living in tents. But but what's what's interesting is it's so it sort of that story, for example, presented it as a tragedy that they've got a kind of all kind of camp together in one, a relative, one room in a relative's house and that kind of thing, which, you know, when I was in that situation, I remember I'd arguing with progressives and they would say things like, well, you're lucky. You've got family to live with. Other people don't have that, you know, well, yeah, because that's part of, that's part of how we fix this problem is we, we shore up families. We make sure that right. people each other without having to rely on government you can't even have that conversation though because the minute you say anything and all i think i all i think i said on alexis article was that the journalists never really challenged the status quo democrats in the system that creates this problem in the first place and she got all kinds of defensive started getting very i'm going to hold your hand and walk you through this and like very condescending and, and kind of wow and, and so you can't even raise simple points <laughs> one line on twitter suddenly you're you're attacking their great journalism you're attacking the homeless that and i you know i don't care if i mean it's a it's friday night twitter spat whatever but the that attitude really really prevents you prevents us as a community from from figuring out how to solve these problems and the progressives love it because when you can't have a discussion the solution is oh well we got to just have government do something and i think that's that i think is this issue is very indicative of that you can't as we were discussing when when they were out when the were out there and the homeless there was no you know list of who are these people really what are they really doing here and i i had tweeted at steve just when he noted they were packing up all the tents and i they left their tents you know i mean sure there's probably not a lot of places to store them in a homeless shelter or if they if they were sent to prison for whatever reason uh but it just seemed very it just seems strange to me that you're just leaving their tents it seems like maybe advocates could come get the tents and then uh phil isle who's an Another oh, local yeah. progressive journalist. He's oh, look at those outfits they're wearing. They were just wearing kind of your, your painter covers that you wear when you, you paint your house or, or sure. you know, when you're gonna be dealing with clothes of people who maybe haven't had the chance to shower for a couple of weeks. I mean, it's not a, it's not an unreasonable thing for workers to wear these things, but it really points out, okay, well then where are you? Where why are you watching Steve? Why aren't you bring up these tents for and holding them for them? I mean, it's just so many, it's it's just such this weird they, as by default, government has to do this and government has to take action and fix things and be human. And I think they're really setting themselves up for fall because it's, it's this very government that causes the problem. And that's, that's the point that they, they never want to get to. They always want to talk about the symptoms and what more taxpayers uh, can do, but, or what more landlords can be forced to do, which is another problem. But uh, it's, it's an interesting situation. And, and I think the first step is figuring out how we can start actually discussing the situation with people who disagree and not just becoming this, this flame war. Folks, again, our segment is Politics This Week. With me, Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, I want to go back to that article because I am seeing that the reporter on it, you know, so proud. Less than 24 hours later, they've started a GoFundMe. It's raised more than 15000 That that's, that's advocacy. Why, you know, this whole business of, and even promoting, you know, thanks to our readers. So I, I know uh, they just created a GoFundMe. That This becomes... You know, other homeless people want to be written about. So a GoFundMe will then be started for them. And then boom, the, you know, $15,000. It, it, I, I mean, I, I, again, I recognize you can't criticize in any way. But this almost, I, I don't know, there's just something about that, that to me that it rings hollow. And I like your point of what about those who aren't written about and what government function failed these people? Right, exactly. I mean, we, we need to we need to get to know what's solving it. I mean, people people ask, well, what's your what's the alternative solution? Well, the alternative solution is to improve the economy, increase, decrease regulation, so you can have more housing. Those are the solutions that will generate fewer homeless. And then the only people who are homeless are people with defi- de- with definable problems like mental illness or drug abuse. And then you can treat that illness to get them back on track. But that's not at all where they, they don't even consider that a solution. And but I think the journalism points an important one it is advocacy it is and that is all we get out of mainstream journalism you cannot trust a thing they write on anything because you have to suspect that they're advocates on some level and i think we see this with mike stanton teaching journalism at uconn and and etc that's they're being taught that that's the job i think uh they're not being taught to be the hard-nosed old uh you know 
grease covered or ink covered uh, wretches out there gathering hard stories and challenging power. That's not at all what they're being taught to do. The, the truth is not an issue. And this is why, I mean, it, it's a very broad topic. I mean, this is why you see them advocating for years for conservatives to be kicked off of Twitter and then panicking like the entire world's collapsing when some of them are, are, are taken off Twitter for doxing Elon Musk. So, I mean, that's, it's, it gets to this, the, the self-righteousness and they, they think they are moral crusaders and activists. They don't think they are just people whose job it is to ignore it all and get a story so people know what's going on. I also like that on that Twitter feed that this libertarian posted, you know, they spent $40,000 on hotel rooms, yet there are all these apartments in Woodsocket that are three bedroom. Uh, 42 apartments would stock at under $1,500 a month that they could have rented. And then put, let's be honest, this is about making poor personal decisions. That, that's one of those things, Justin, you'd never see that written in, in an article about homeless. Right. Well, they, they, they've, and we've discussed before during, I mean, during, during the Trump era, they were already kind of the, you know, the conservative was the last person mentioned or, or the alternative voices were, were kind of found, but they were downplayed during the Trump era. They, the journalists I found have just decided they don't need to do that anymore. You, you don't need to give the other side uh, any airing. And, and it's a real, it's a real problem. Cause first of all, people trying to consider the issue don't, don't get that other perspective. It's real easy to make something seem plausible of position given but it also reduces the kind of the, the trust in the news stories and that's that's a problem as well folks again uh quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the john DePietro show next time you have an emergency think at med urgent care Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. At Med Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At At Med Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atman urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atman urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Well, uh, Justin, Mayor Lorza, he um, first kind of poked his head out of the tent, I'd say, uh, when he had that press conference with the incoming mayor, Brett Smiley, who attended, and then Ambassador Joe Paolino, Angel Tavares, and he took a pretty aggressive tone towards the situation with the schools. And I think his proposal, I don't think it's been vetted enough by the media, because to me, the way it was presented was this business that, oh, they, you know, go all charter. But he's done now two interviews that I've seen, one on Channel 10, one on Channel 12, and he lays out, I think, you know, more of, first of all, it's the most aggressive tone I've heard from any elected official about the situation with the unions, especially the Providence Teachers Union. I, I would go so far as to say he's been even more aggressive than any of the Republicans that are at the state house. But he basically says this system is broken. The problem is the contract. The problem is the union and lays out, especially on Channel 10, a little bit more. School is failing, which they're they're all failing, but close it and then reopen it as a charter school. So I want to get your thoughts. And I know some people immediately hear Mayor Lorza, they start taking shots at him. But I, I thought he was very articulate. He was right on the money. And, and the part that also got a people's attention was he said he would not send his son to the public schools in Providence. Yeah, I mean, but but isn't that obvious? I mean, it's one of those, it's another truth that you're just not allowed to say. You know, if you have the means, get your kids out of those schools. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just an 
obvious thing you ought to do as a parent, I think. Uh, so he's just being honest there. And I think, I mean, I, I've got to give him on other issues. He seems not to have, have come around so much. But on this one, he, he's definitely, as I say, been red pilled. I mean, he's definitely looked at the beast and said, yeah, this is a beast. I mean, that's that's really a refreshing kind of first step in all this. And and the call to make them all charter schools, that's really, uh, that's just a really a cloaked way to say the, the labor unions need to be shaken up and taken out of the equation. And we need to start having incentives in schools for them to perform, which is what folks like us have been saying for decades. But, you know, it's, it's great to see it, you know, starting to get some purchase uh, and they've done similar things in Massachusetts and Massachusetts, although I, I still think they, their system could improve. I mean, they're, they're consistently rated among probably the best in the country. Oh yeah. So that's one of the things they did is if your school is failing, it closes down and can reopen under as a charter or, or a school choice starts to get implemented. And I think that's what it really comes down to. And everybody knows it. It's, it's just like the homeless. It's an issue we're not allowed to really discuss. Everybody knows it's the labor unions run them as their as as a way to gain money and create jobs and gain political that's what they do. And they're destroying the lives of hundreds of thousands of Rhode Island children. So it, in some ways, it's, it's almost shocking. It, it, it's, a, it's a surprise for a mayor to come out of office and say, yeah, this is a big problem here. But that's, that's really what it is. They've got, they've got to get in there. And I, I, we're, not, we're definitely not seeing the, the, the chutzpah to do it in this, at the state level. So I don't, I don't think the state takeover is going to bear any fruit on this at all. It's just going to be another way. How can we offload the blame and pretend we're, we're coming up with a solution that may work in 10, 20 years? That's, that's going to be no solution at all. But it, it's, it's nice of Alorza, he, I mean, to, to come out and, and advocate this way. But I think, you know, rather than shuffling off to be part-time professor at Roger Williams, he ought, he ought to be it's an issue. I mean, he ought to stay on this. Now that he's seen it, he ought to be an advocate and make sure everybody else can see what he sees now. I think, um, well, several things. Number one, the Channel 12, uh, one of the people at Channel 12 even tweeted out as the audio was playing, there were audible gasps at some of the things that he said. Now, that tells me that they, um, whoever was gasping, <gasps> You know, doing that when he would say certain things, they don't fully comprehend just what the situation is. That and Steph Machado, who was doing the interview for um, Channel 12, Gene Velicenti had him as a guest on 10 News Conference. She was even questioning him with what I would call some of the union talking points, which is, are you afraid, you know, some of the teachers, they'll leave feeling disrespected? That's that's a union talking point. Oh, the teachers are disrespected. And then. You know, another thing they say is this whole business of, oh, what are you going to do? Just close all the schools if there'd be no options. What, what I found interesting, Justin Katz, is he finally came out and said, the problem here is is the union. That you can't, unless we can rip up the contract, they have too much power. The system is built to fail. You can't get rid of bad teachers. Uh, there's different changes we need to make. I, I think part of the I think part of the problem is that the media doesn't do enough, as we talked about, to dig in on the other side. For instance, last week, and I don't want to get your thoughts. It was huge that, you know, the union link, they're going to close three schools. Well, what is then not reported is, yeah, but they would reopen them as charter schools. Therefore, the problem is the union. You cannot have a successful school in Providence. If the union is running it, because there's too many barriers to actually have a real education. Absolutely. I mean, getting back to the media, the idea that there's there would be audible gasps. The first reaction of a real journalist upon finding him or herself gasping at something, an outgoing mayor, to write it down and make a note. I'm going to dig into this. And find yes. out why he say such a thing. I'm good. Is that true? I'm going to look into it. I'm going to find the truth here. They don't want to do that, though. They don't want to do that because they know everybody already knows what they're going to find, and they don't want to find it. They don't want to find that unions are destroying schools and really ought to be made illegal in the Constitution, if possible, for, for public education. I mean, that's that's really what they're going to find, and they know it. They they ought to be digging. What's what are the results here? And they'll find. And this is another thing I'm sure they they would hate to discover. They'll find that. Folks like you, me, Mike Stenhouse, and the Center for Freedom and Prosperity all have been right all along. You don't yeah. need to, 
you don't need to necessarily close everything down. You don't even need to, to empty the schools from the, from the unions and find all charters. All you need to do is start implementing school choice where some parents get a choice. Yep. It will increase. And we did a study when I was with the center, it will increase the amount of money going to education because if you give parents some money for a private school, they'll come up with to do it or other groups will uh, for charitable donations churches will give to their, their parishioners that kind of thing you'd draw mil- billions probably at this point of dollars into public into education by creating some choice and you would you can absolutely allow private schools and charters to start to grow gradually and what will happen is not only will they they give students an immediate access to improved education. The incentive will be there and the system will break the unions. The systems will say, look, we cannot do this or we're going to be out of business in two years. You have to negotiate more fairly. You have to give in some of these, these wild perks you get. That would, that's what would happen instantly, instantly. None of these, oh, we've got a, I mean, I think we're going to talk about Shikarchi's interview with the Globe. You know, we're, we're, going to, we're going to give it 10 years with the state takeover. Yeah, 10 years. That's an entire kids. You, you've lost every kid who started yeah. in kindergarten at that point. That's not acceptable. You need an immediate solution. And it's very easy. It doesn't have to be all charter schools. And this, I think, is where Elors is still hedging his Democrat progressive bets here. But you don't need all charter schools. You just need choice. You need school choice. And that, that's really will solve the problem much more quickly and it, more importantly it'll help you identify the problem the things that are in the way such as right. the unions but there are others as well you know family issues and that kind of thing those will be identified more clearly as well yeah i found it refreshing and i hope you know since the john hopkins report came out there are still those in the media that say well you know you got to get all the as they call it, all the shareholders involved and you got to get input from everyone and they have the the, the union head uh doing interviews and and you know this goes back to you know, Hummel having Bob Walsh on as the as the education expert and never they don't fully comprehend. No, you don't understand. They are the problem. They're not part of the problem. You can't fire a bad teacher. If you're a student and you get a bad teacher, you're stuck for the year. There's nothing you can do. It's going to be a bad year and you can't fire anyone. If you go to a school and you say we want to do some of the things they do at the charter school, which is start earlier, stay later, try to implement different pr- programs. Guess who steps in and says, no, you can't do that. It's it's the union. So I, I agree. You know, it's like they're still blind to the fact and those talking points being used. Oh, you know, you're disrespecting teachers. That's that's a union talking point. All of those um, just finally, but all of those uh, instances last week of kids were crying because their school's going to be closed and the parents were upset. The parents should be demanding the school be closed. 95% of the kids can't do the work at grade level. And this is what has the kids crying. I mean, it is just one thing after another. All right, folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Uh, Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401 580 1852 limitless outdoors they specialize in patios walkways steps they did a fantastic job on my outside steps outdoor kitchens landscape lighting retaining walls lawn installations excavation call limitless outdoors today let's dream build and enjoy 401-580-1852 based in smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com remember weekdays 11 to 2 but visit the website dipetro.com that's the best way to reach me there's a direct link contact john we also have all our sponsors right there we have unique original reporting stories videos also all our links to social media whether it's facebook when we do facebook live or youtube 
or Twitter. It's all right there at the website to Petro.com. And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there folks it all starts by logging on at depetro.com and on the left hand side you can always listen live again all our links everything begins and ends right there at the website depetro.com the kui set in 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. No. Donna Perry, finally also, um, there was an interesting piece that I said, what's going to happen to, quote, the downtowns? You know, it was um, no matter where you are in the country, because of COVID, because of people now yeah. working from right. home, it's it's not so much a Providence thing. It's, it's a Boston thing with a lot of uh, companies. And um, what used to be, because both of us at different times have worked in what would be considered, you know, the downtown area, whether it's yeah. midtown or whatever. But um, there's an element of it that's kind of sad. But at the same time, you know, times change and people just seemingly don't want to go back into that that can be avoided. You know, the big, the huge rush, the massive rush in the morning, the massive rush in the afternoon to go into these big downtown areas and buildings and um I, I i'm not sure what the future i think the future downtown is going to be maybe more people li- trying to live in some of these places as opposed to work in these these in, you know these different buildings yeah and and you you really do have a, a couple of major forces um kind of coming together at once in this whole issue and i i'm i'm glad you had pointed that out that piece to me because when you look at like a san francisco as it started looking at that but it's it's many cities it's not just emptied out it's it's becoming like a hollowed out you know yeah. which which is a very very um unfortunate thing and and the fatal blow in a way a place like San Francisco has had these things that we're now seeing in many cities, which is very cautious, which is very, you know, troubling. And that, first of all, was just the confluence of um, the homeless and the homeless encampments, um, which is going on in a lot of places. So then the fatal blow is the pandemic. The other thing I would note about San Francisco, though, that a little bit different is they have really the highest percentage of tech workers. Um, so that means people working in all those kind of companies, John, and those kinds of companies really, once they, you know, you let the horse out of the barn, you can work from home, you can work from anywhere. Um, that tends to skew a younger workforce. You're never getting them back in no. those buildings. See the, and that's the thing. Um, and, but then we have like new generations of recent college grads, their idea of work and, you know, quote, going to work. Well, that's very different from what we grew up in. Um, but I don't think it's a, I, I, I have a personal view on that. Number one, I don't think that's actually great for 20 or even 30 somethings in, in terms of their career and just their social environment. Um, I really mean that. Like I, I, so much of your work life, you're, you're at work more than your home on Saturday and Sunday. And I think for a young person, that's actually a very, very important um, social outlet. You know, I think it is, it's all part of it. And I, I think also um, it's, and also to sort of increase your career, there's not, it's just not the same, you know, to email people, you know, and then try to connect with them. It's just, um, there's not the same. So I, I think it's kind of concerning. And I, I think the American city in, uh, you know, writ large, we don't want to hand over the city to sort of street thugs and the, you know, and the, and the kind of the riffraff, I hate to say that, John, but like that, that's what kind of happened when the pandemic cleared people out. Right. Yes. Um, you know, sort of the unsavory element really 
said, Hey, we're going to have a run of the streets, you know? And yes. I mean, that certainly has continued to play out in New York. And, yeah. but as you say, this is a combination of problems. I mean, you're, you're just not, we also mass transit, you know, people in New York, you know, all that very, very well. Uh, you're going to get up and get on a 5:30 train and go bumbling into the, you know, and have a bumpy ride and you go running around and you grab the tr- subway just to be at your desk at 8:30 as people always did. So now it's like, they see the light. They're like, why am I, I'm not doing that. If I can, you know, yeah. have a big home office, but if everyone does what, what is happening to the downtown? So, right. It's, you know, one of the last note, and it's just, and I don't see anyone writing about it, but, I, I, for myself, when and, and, and the same thing I would also do with, but when I, you start out, you're, I'll just say a male, but you're a young guy, you're working with older guys, and you're not related to them, and they're not a teacher, and they're not your father, but, right. you know, it's little stuff of how you properly tip in a restaurant, and here's, here's yes. where you want to get a good raincoat, and, you know, and I, you know, you, the guy, young guy comes in and you explain you don't wear a certain type of suspenders and things like that. And, and all of that is lost with these, again, I'll just say gender, but young guys that are working yeah. from home and they're never in that interaction element. I think we're going to get a group of young guys that are going to be in their 30s, but they, they seem more like they're 22, 23. 24. I agree. And I, I do, yeah. you do worry about young males. And I feel yeah. like then their, their maturity, they're, they're, you know, they may prolong their immaturity. Yes. Um, and and it you could know. Go, same thing could go for females. The same. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, yeah. we want to also uh, say Merry Christmas to Donna Perry. We certainly enjoy and Merry uh, Christmas. Yeah, that's right. JD. Our uh, weekly conversations. We'll have more of it in the new year. Of course. So Merry Christmas, of which I'll be celebrating with you and our family yes. together. Yes, we're so and, uh, excited. And much more ahead in the new year. Thank you, well, DJ. Merry Christmas. We can't wait to see all the DePetros. Okay. Falcon Pest Services. 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Locally owned and operated, serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. They offer services for termites, bed bugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats in the summertime spring fall mosquitoes and many other pests call today for a free consultation whether it's for your home or restaurant maybe it's once a year maybe it's once a month call falcon pest services today free consultation 401-739-1322 residential and commercial whether it's an office building a school a hotel a restaurant or your home call falcon Pest services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Thing to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipetro.com. Mm-hmm.